I thought I'd begin this morning with the ranch story, and then we'll get into uh, a passage of Scripture. Who's the oldest person here? Anyone want to fess up to it? You think you are? How old are you? Want to tell? 86? Blair, you, you've been beat? <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to tell you a story that happened a long time ago. It was about 1 B.C., and it was at a ranch far, far away, and I was there. Uh, but this is one year, one year before children. When I had children, I, I switched from training horses at, to training children, and it's, it's a, a good switch. I would never want to go back to training horses. But I, I did train horses a little bit when I first was at the ranch, one year B.C. And I had this horse that uh, I, I wouldn't just train anything. It had to be interesting. But this horse caught my, my interest. His name was Pistol Pete. There's warm-blooded horses, which are your thoroughbreds and, and uh, European uh, hot-headed things. And then there's the kind of the cooler horse, like the American Quarter Horse, and, and uh, are more used for chasing cows and things like that. Well, this one was a, a cross between a Tricaner, a warm-blood, and American Quarter Horse. Someone had donated a Tricaner, a full-blooded Tricaner mare, to the ranch who supposedly could not conceive. And so one of our quarter horse stallions got the job done, though. And he got it done twice. And she put out some pretty nice foals. This, uh, this particular one, though, Pistol Pete, was one of the most athletic horses. He was a little bit of a combination of the, the hot, warm blood and uh, the quarter horse. He had... Uh, just muscles, but he was lean and, and thin. He could do amazing things. And so as a three-year-old, I began to ride him. And taking him out in the arena, I found that he had some issues right away. One of the issues was he liked to be in the barn with his buddies, which pretty much all horses do. And so as we were doing circles around the arena, riding, every time we got heading back to the barn, he, he would go better and faster and, and more control. But as we went away, you had to, to prod him a little bit. But he was just amazing. Speed, I could just feel the, the athleticism under me as I'm riding this horse. In fact, one day, I was getting on him pretty good, and he walked over to a five-foot fence, which was the, the arena fence, with me standing on him, and, and he was kept looking toward the barn. And all of a sudden, he just went, boom. I mean, from a standstill right next to the fence with me on him, right over this fence, just like a, a hop, boom, we're on the other side. And I had to open the gate and let him back in the arena and, and keep going with his training. But I thought, my goodness. And he wouldn't stay inside. No matter where you put him in, in a fence with his buddies, he would always be on the other side of the fence, eating grass. He had to walk right up to an electric fence, boom, you know, and then be eating grass while they're eating dirt inside the paddock. And they eventually just let him go. They, they couldn't keep him in. The, the barn staff just, he didn't wander far. He stayed right on the edge, so he had his herd instinct, but he, he was eating grass and looking at them like they were a bunch of morons. So Pistol Pete, pretty amazing guy. Um, one day, I decided to take Pistol Pete on a trail ride. And those of you that have been to the ranch know that there's a ravine that connects uh, our property one side to the other. There's a, where the, the main camp section is, and then there's a fort out at the other side of the property in this long ravine. It's a nice, beautiful ride. And so I took this athletic monster of, of, of mine, Pistol Pete, saddled him up, got him all pretty and, and brushed out, and thought, we're just going to walk over to 
the, the high pasture on the other side of the, the, the valley there. And wouldn't you know, he didn't want to walk. He wanted to run. But it was always a con- contest of wills with him. And so I decided, we're going to walk. Whether you want to walk or not, I'm going to make you walk. Just walk. You know, so I'm constantly checking him and correcting him and trying to get him to calm down. But he wanted to run so bad. So much so, it was a nice day like today, not exceptionally warm, probably in the 70s. By the time we walked less than a mile down the ravine and up to the other side, he looked like he just got done running the Kentucky Derby. He had foam coming out around the, the, uh, the girth and around his backside. Have you seen a horse that had that, that white foam? I mean, that's when they're really sweating. They're putting out the salts and stuff. He was completely drenched. He was just wet. Inside, he was running. Outside, he was walking. And I couldn't believe that. In fact, I knew I was probably going to have to explain to everybody what I had done with him when I got back to the barn because they're going to look at him and it looked like I just ran him flat out for miles and miles and miles. So we we came into the field and we finally came to a, a long open field and I was pretty much sick of his inside running and I said, fine, you want to run, run. And I just gave him the reins and like a lightning bolt, he took off. And we came up over this little knoll in the field, right into a herd of deer. And the deer bolted across the field, a long stretch of field for the woods. And he was right with them, stride for stride. And so I'm riding in this herd of deer as it heads toward the woods. Now, once they got to the woods, the deer were like darts in a dartboard, just kind of, you know, into the brush. And I'm seeing the brush, and I'm like, whoa, this isn't going to work very well. So I got him pulled around just before he he hit the wall of brush, and it would have done some damage to me. And then I walked him home, and after letting him run. But the lesson that that stood in, in my mind the whole time was, goodness, how much energy did he waste running when he was being asked to walk? And he wouldn't listen and, and understand my heart, which was was to have him walk. And the, the characteristic we're going to talk about this morning is meekness. Meekness is, uh, as we'll see in a little bit here, cheerfully and quickly yielding your will to God to do whatever he wants. There's all kinds of things that happen when we don't quickly and cheerfully yield our, our will to God. And we do that f- not yield for a variety of reasons, including fear and, and many other things, and stubbornness and persistence on doing our own thing, our own time, walking our own speed. Uh, how many of you are like that? Just a little bit on the stubborn side. Yeah, I understand. I, I can identify. Pistol Pete was not a very good example of, of meekness there. He was not a very good example of quickly and cheerfully yielding his will. Although he was made to do a certain speed, you could tell by his whole countenance and by his whole body that he was really doing something else, and he was struggling in a major way. There was no peace in his life whatsoever. And so we're going to come back and illustrate some more things with Pistol Pete, but for the moment we're going to take time to to read a verse and out of Scripture, out of of Christ's uh, first sermon, and putting that into context a little bit, you think about Israel and the Jews and the powerful history they had with God and how prophets did marvelous things like Moses, for example, and Elijah and Elisha and the prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah, and they were constantly speaking the word of God. Now, who, 
How do you know if a prophet is actually speaking the word of God? What does God do to help us understand that? What's that? It happens, yeah. If they prophesy something, then it comes to pass. And hopefully it's not like, if the bank will give me a loan, then I know it's God's will. Because the bank's always going to give you a loan. Yeah, I used that on my first car one time. It wasn't, wasn't very smart. A fleece. You're not supposed to use a fleece like that. Um, but, yes, if the, if the prophet predicted something that would come to pass, and it came to pass, then you knew um, that he was at least speaking the truth there. But all of God's prophets that, that he used to reveal his word, he confirmed them by miracles, signs, and wonders. And so the Jews were used to this. In fact, Moses, when Moses said to God, when God called him to lead the people out of Egypt, he said, how will they, you know, they, when they say, who, who sent you? And how will they know? And God said, stick your hand in your bosom and pull it back out. And it was leprous. Stick it back in, pull it back out, and it was clean. Throw your rod down and pick it up. And it, it was a snake. And then when he picked it up, it, it turned back into a rod again. And so right from the beginning, they were conditioned to, to have these miracles. But now you have a 400-year period of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament where the Jews who are used to experiencing God speaking to them have had silence instead. I don't know why exactly God chose that period of time, 400 years. They had the previous things that had been spoken, but they hadn't seen a prophet or seen miracles, signs, and wonders like their, the stories of, of their ancestors for a very long time. And then comes John the Baptist, talking about and, and preparing the way for Jesus. And then we have Jesus. And Jesus is going around healing people from, from everything, that they, every malady that they had. And he's confirming that he is, the, in fact, the Son of God. He's confirming his words. And so his first sermon is in the, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, my parents went over to Israel. How many of you have been over there? Anybody has seen the, the mount where they think this sermon? No one yet? Uh, it's very interesting. Look, you can look it up. I believe it's outside of Capernaum. And so he sits them all down, and, and, they're t- and he's teaching, kind of in an amphitheater-type situation. And he, he goes through a list of, of things, but the one we're going to focus on today, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. This is Matthew 5, 5. You can trust me on that, and we're going to turn to, to uh, Psalm 37 in a little bit. But Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek. And so I began to try and understand what this meekness is all about. And meekness, have you noticed that definitions change over time? Did you know that? If you look up in old dictionaries what a word means, it's different than what a new, new dictionary would say. Like, for example, and I don't want to get off on too much of a sidetrack, but worship. Worship, an interesting word that we're all familiar with and that we even talk about and, and do sometimes, hopefully more often than not, but worship in the 1828 dictionary is different than worship in my modern MacBook dictionary here. Worship, what do you think the first word is to describe worship in the modern dictionary? 
starts with an F and ends with an Ealing. Feelings of sentiment or nostalgia toward the deity. That's what worship is described as today. Worship in, in Webster's 1828 is acts of service to the deity, chiefly prayer. Oh, isn't that interesting? It just changed over a, a hundred years or more. Well, meekness kind of did the same thing here. Meekness, in the New Dictionary, it says patient and mild, too submissive, easily imposed upon, spineless, spiritless. Under the uh, synonyms, it says ashamed, henpecked. I'm sure there's none of those around here. Lowly, manipulatable. That's meekness in the modern definition. Going back to Webster's 1812, it says soft and gentle, not easily provoked or irritated. Yielding, given to forbearance when injured. And it gave the example, writing the dictionary, of Moses. Now, Moses was very meek above all men, from Numbers chapter 12. Appropriately humble, it says. Submissive to the divine will. Not proud or self-sufficient. Not peevish and complaining of all the problems. For Christ said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Christ is our example of meekness. He's meek and lowly in heart. He says, you'll find rest to your souls. Our definition of meekness then for today is an attitude of cheerful yielding of our will to God. And that's different than what you might get otherwise. So we have an example of Moses. We have an example of Pistol Pete in the opposite. And we have um, perhaps an example. I was in a wedding, and it was in a church very similar to this. And the couple stood up here, and the woman wrote her own, own vows, so they weren't the traditional ones. But in her vows, she had in there that she would, would be meek and gentle with her husband and, and submit to his uh, leadership and authority in the home. And afterward, at the, the reception, I heard a little party of, of some of my their, their distant cousins, but they were talking about these vows in not-so-nice terms. And the one girl, who is a self-proclaimed feminist, said... Uh, could you believe the vows? Could you believe how spineless, you know, uh, she, you know she even said she was going to be meek. And, and who would, you know, that's not today's quality that you want to emulate. And so I just thought, well, I'm going to go over there. And I said, uh, do you know what meekness is? And she said, I think so. And I said, well, what is it? Well, it's like being a doormat, walked all over like a timid mouse, you know, uh, spineless, you know, right out of the dictionary. I said, well, do you know that's not what the, the Bible means when it talks about meekness? Now, this is an unsaved cousin, not really familiar with the Bible, or maybe that Jesus considered himself uh, meek and that we should emulate him. But I told her about another example of a, a war horse. A horse is actually a good illustrator of meekness. A war horse, unlike Pistol Pete, has resigned himself to quickly and cheerfully yield his will to the rider. And he's going into battle. So there's screams and agony and, and clashes of swords and spears and, and all the death and, and the sound of war around him. And he, the rider says, we go this way. He goes this way. The rider says, this way. We go this way. 
And he's okay inside. Although there's turmoil all around him, inside, he's not running the other direction. Inside, he's meek. He's quickly and cheerfully yielding his will to his master, the knight or whoever's on him. A war horse is a powerful example of meekness. Far cry from the mouse or the doormat that modern people would associate with, with being meek. But a meek person has rest inside. Not peace and absence of conflict, but peace, a sustaining completeness inside, knowing that God is in control and sovereign and able to take care. So, we say, what does this meekness look like in our relationship with God? Well, it's softly and quickly yielding to the will of God, trusting that God will protect, God will make things right. Question number two, what does meekness look like among each other? We have a family here. How does that work out? Well, it's patience when others do us harm, forgiving others when they trespass against us, as in the Lord's Prayer, repaying evil with good rather than evil, and quickly and cheerfully yielding to those that God has called us to obey when we're acknowledging Him as the the source of authority. This is not a quality that that should be taken lightly. If if it defines Jesus and he commanded us to to be it and there's a reward that comes with it, we should look upon it very carefully. Meekness produces peace. I have a quote here that I I thought one of the commentators uh, put together and it says this, Meekness is proof of true greatness of soul. It comes from a heart too great to be moved by little insults. It looks upon those who offer those insults with pity. He that is constantly ruffled and suffers every little insult or injury to throw him off his guard and to raise a storm of passion within him is at the mercy of every mortal person that chooses to disturb him. Are you that person? Are you a person who is at the mercy of every mortal that chooses to disturb you? Not so if you're meek. He is like a troubled sea that cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. The opposites of meekness, then, are to have a quick temper, a desire for revenge, hatred toward those who do us wrong, inner turmoil, restlessness, no peace, stubborn desire to do my own will, or resistance to God, just like Pistol Pete was resistance to me doesn't mean that a meek person is timid or cowardly. Matter of fact, does it mean that we're to forfeit all rights when we're a meek person? Now, Paul, the Philippian jailer, when he was, the earthquake came and, and he, he uh, then preached the Philippian jailer and, and then the magistrates heard about what happened and the magistrate said to the jailer, just set him free, set him free. But Paul was a Roman citizen The magistrates didn't realize this, and they beat him and judged him without giving him a fair trial. And Paul had a right as a Roman citizen. Paul was meek also. But what did Paul do? Does anyone know what Paul did here? What did he do? Did he go off like the magistrates wanted? No, he said, no, no, no. Uh, If the magistrates would like me to leave, since they beat us without a trial, have them come. 
and take us out themselves. For we are Roman citizens. Paul, being a meek person and an example for us to follow, he didn't forfeit all his rights just because he was meek, but he exercised them under the control of God. And Jesus also, we have, uh, Jesus also challenged the, uh, those in authority. Uh, said the, in John 18, 19 to 24, a high priest asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. And Jesus answered him and said, I spake openly unto the world. I, I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort. And in secret I have said nothing. Why askest thou me? Askest them which heard me. What have I said unto them? Behold, they know what I have said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answer the high priest so. And Jesus answered him and said, If I have spoken evil, then bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Jesus was meek, but he challenged those in authority. So it's not timidity or cowardice or being a doormat, but it's being yielded to the will of God. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, Matthew 11, 29, 30. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now the reward of being meek in the Bible talks about the meek shall inherit the earth. To the Jews that meant something more than, than maybe to us, because to them, they, their inheritance, their peculiar blessing from God was always this land. They were looking forward to this land, the land of Canaan, as a physical part of their blessing. And from Abraham, the, the time on. So when, it, when you shall inherit the earth, that is, it's talking about God's peculiar blessing for his people. Something that he singled out and said, this is for you. Now for us, it, it, we're not thinking about, boy, I wish I had that hundred acres. If I'm meek, God will give me some hundred acres down the road somewhere. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. But God will and does have a peculiar blessing for his people in the new covenant. And even Abraham said he searched not for uh, a city made by hands, but a city that was, was built by, whose builder and maker is God. We have God's peculiar blessing to look forward to. And part of that is in the future, and that will be heaven. And part of that is rest and peace in our souls now. I'm going to turn to Psalm 37 now. Psalm 37. And I'll read a few verses out of, out of Psalm 37, starting in, in verse 1. Because you're going to see a lot of wor words that are the opposite of what meek is, and then you're going to see meekness. And always look about inheriting the earth, too, because that's God's peculiar blessing for his people. Verse 1, Fret not because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. That fretting right there, how many of you are fretters? Is there anyone who's willing to fess up? That's, that's the opposite of meekness. Don't fret. Fret not. Don't fret because God is in control. Fret not because of evildoers. I mean, all of us can look around and we can see somebody successful out there who's not doing things according to the principles of God. And they seem to appear to be successful. They have all the cash they could want. They have uh, their trophy family and their trophy cars and their trophy everything. Let me tell you something. They have some trophy headaches too, all right? I'm sure of it. But, verse 2, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither is the green herb. Listen to this now. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, there we have the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. 
Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now there's one that can be misused a little bit. We delight ourselves, then God will give me whatever I want. Uh, it's not quite that way. How many of you know uh, that little toy? It's like, I think it's blue and red, and you open it up. It's like hollow inside, and the shapes fall out, and then there's like circles and squares and rectangles and moons and stars and all that. Have you seen that thing? Okay. That's what I picture when I see this. Trust in the Lord, and God will give you the desires of your heart. He has made your heart, and he knows exactly what will fill it. So if you can take that little toy, got it in your mind's eye now? Now think about trying to stuff a truck in the circle. If I just had a new truck, that's what I really want. And you're ramming stuff, and it won't fit. How about um, a Barbie doll or a Ken doll, right? If I just had this girl or this boy, you know, and you're, you're ramp, trying to force something down into this toy, into a, a shape that it will not accept. God made you. He knows your desires, what's fulfilling, because he made you that way. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he, trust him, he knows what shapes go where, and he'll bring it to pass. He'll, he'll make life um, a fulfilling thing for you if you follow him. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Listen to this for all the fretters and the worriers and the angry people. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. There we go, the peculiar blessing of the Lord again. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But listen to this, verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in an abundance of peace. How many of you have pets? Do you have a dog? Any dog lovers out there? <clears throat> I'm not so much of a, a dog lover. There weren't very many when I asked for that. There was like six hands. It must be a dog deficit in, in Lance. But I didn't want a dog. I didn't, I, it's not that I don't like dogs. I'm just a busy guy. And we go all the time. But my mother-in-law kept saying, Oh, your family needs a dog. Your family needs a dog. I'll buy the dog. I'll pay for the shots. I'll do this. I'll do You know, just get the dog. And because my wife wanted a dog. My kids wanted a dog. And eventually I relented. And I said, Fine. You want the dog? You can have the dog, but I'm not training it. I'm not feeding it. I'm not taking it out. I'm not cleaning it up. I'm not doing anything with it. It's your dog. You want the dog? Then be prepared because I know what kind of responsibility having the dog is. And so they get this dog, and it's a <laughs> chihuahua poodle mix called it a chai poo. Now, when you think about the sin nature of man, I think of chihuahua in dogs. This compulsory barking and, and uh, fretting and, and not listening, right? So we get the dog, and the dog has no rest and no peace in its heart. It is just all over the place, but particularly at night. So they, my family, they got all these dog training books, and you know they're reading, and, and how do we train this dog, and how do we get the thing going? And so they got this kennel, a little wire cage, about this big, and every night we go through this ritual. Uh, it's bedtime, everyone's going to bed, 
We put, you know, they put the dog in the kennel, and the dog turns into a little demon. Just starts howling and thrashing and ramming itself into the cage, you know, and, ah, you know, just, just uh, doing damage to itself. And it, this goes on and on. So my wife's not sleeping with me. She's sleeping in the living room next to this howling maniac, uh, the little chai poo. But I said I wasn't going to train it, right? I'm not going to do this. It's their thing. But after about two weeks, which is probably way too long, uh, I'm going to bed, and I'm laying there in bed, and I hear the thing go in the cage, and all the antics start again, right? And I had fed up with it by, by now because the dog had no peace inside. The dog was wanting its own thing. They thought something was wrong with the dog. How many of you know there was nothing wrong with the dog? I got up, and I walked over to the kennel, and I grabbed it, and I shook it just a little bit, and I said, you be quiet and lie down. And the dog went, like that. And my wife's eyes were like saucers. And she said, how did you do that? Well, from that moment on, unfortunately, the dog is, I'm the alpha male, she knows that. And, and so now it's my snap, my whatever is required to make the dog obey. But when the dog does, and she does, I'll say, that's enough. She just goes down, quiet. And that's God with us. God says, enough. Fret no more. Be meek. Rest. Enjoy the peace that I've given you. When I tell you to do something, obey. It's okay. Leave the result up to me. Don't be angry. Don't fret. I can't quit without reading you my favorite verse in the Bible, and you'll see why pretty soon. Psalm 37, 37 says, mark the perfect man. Okay. And behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Perfect being complete or mature. This is a mark of maturity in a believer. The, the ability to, to, to be meek. It's a fruit of the, the Spirit of, of God powerfully at work in your life. You're never going to be meek in the flesh. That just doesn't doesn't fit. But this is something that God desires of us to pursue vigorously with all that we are. Don't be angry. Don't fret. Enjoy the rest that God has given you, which is a peculiar blessing from Him, just like the land was for Israel. And it's not an absence of conflict. We're not talking about that kind of peace. Many of you are going through storms I can't even imagine. But it's sustaining completeness in the middle of whatever that storm is. You don't have to fret. Just take another step forward under the the mighty hand of God. He is your Lord. He is your protector. He cares for you.